Let's stand together at this time. We're going to be looking in Romans chapter 16 today. Romans 16 at a message I call simply established. Established. Romans 16 in verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you. There it is. And to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest. And by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. According to the commandment of the everlasting God. For obedience to the faith. To God alone wise. Be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. The book of Romans, of course, written by the Apostle Paul to the churches. There were several of them who were meeting in the ancient city of Rome. Paul had never visited there. This makes this uh, epistle rather unique. He wasn't writing back to a church that he had started, but to several churches that he anticipated going to see. His purpose in going there was, of course, as it always was, on a missionary journey. There were unreached areas on beyond them, Spain, France, other areas in uh, Europe that he had to go to and especially mention Spain. He was hoping to establish kind of a base of operations there in Rome with the churches at Rome. And so he wrote this letter. Other things, of course, was happening. Uh, because uh, the churches there had not had, as far as we know, any apostolic influence. Uh, there was a lacking things that were lacking about their faith, their understanding of the scriptures. And so Paul writes them this careful letter that gives to them some incredible truth about the Christian faith. It begins with a discussion of sin. And it concludes with all under sin in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. And then he goes on from there to our salvation, our justification, to sanctification. What has to do with our continued struggle with sin. Though we're saved, we still struggle to live out the principles of our faith that we believe in so strongly. He tells them about the Spirit of God that helps them in this battle. He gives great insight then into a lot of practical things. Discussions of practical truth. All of this in this one letter. If you haven't read the book of Romans or haven't read it lately, you should. Not right now. <laughs> but, but when you get home, uh, just maybe tonight before you go to bed, it's not like it's, I'm not telling you to read uh, War and Peace or something. I mean, it's just, it's the book of Romans, 16 chapters. You can read it in just a few minutes. You can read it in several different versions in an hour. Just read it. Get an understanding because Paul was giving out some incredible information, this discussion of our faith. Our text today is the conclusion of this great epistle. And like any good conclusion, it tells them what he was doing, why he wrote it, reminds them of what his purpose was. Establishment. Establishment. That word is not mysterious in any language. The word he used in Greek means to set fast, to strengthen, or to make firm. We could use it in our language today to describe how, for example, if you were putting posts in your yard, 
uh, to hold up a fence and you wanted it to stay through the kind of windstorm that we had the other night. You'd dig down deep, you'd pack it in concrete, and you would establish it. It would be strengthened. It would stand. It would set firm. That's exactly what he's talking about. We could use it metaphorically to describe what's happened when we make up our mind. Maybe we're troubled about some issue. We look into it. We, we're trying to figure out the truth about it. But then we come to that understanding of the truth. And hopefully it is the truth. We can't take that for granted. But we make up our mind. We decide it. It is settled for us. Same kind of concept. It's presented often in the New Testament about our faith. And that is, of course, how we find it in our text today. But it's far from being the only one. Paul would speak of this four times to the church at Thessalonica. Makes sense. New church. He was only there for three weeks. He wanted to establish them. And he couldn't stay there physically to do it. So he wrote them those great letters, First and Second Thessalonians. And he says it again. I want to establish you. Uh, perhaps most famously in Second Thessalonians 3 and 3. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. <laughs> uh, that's a good statement, by the way. The Lord will establish you and guard you from the evil one. You do know, of course, that the devil would kill us all if he could. You do know that, don't you? You think he'd let us live if God wasn't guarding us? That's a simple passage. This was a church full of new believers who were formed in a fire there at Thessalonica. And they were facing intense persecution. It was very likely that they were going to suffer for their faith. Very likely that some of them might lose their jobs, their livelihood because of their faith. Some might lose their property and possessions. Some might lose their freedom. Some might lose their life. This was no time for being a casual believer. Uh, and so he tells them, that's why he wrote to them about it over and over again. I want to establish you. I want to strengthen you. I want to establish your faith. The Apostle Paul wasn't the only one who talked about it. James chapter 5 and verse 8, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Another time that we need to establish ourselves and establish ourselves in the truth. What truth? The truth that Jesus is coming again. That's one thing, folks, that we don't need to just have a kind of vague idea about. We need to be absolutely certain of it. Are you certain that Jesus is coming again today? I hope you are. Amen. 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 Yeah, we can shout about that one. But more than that, they needed to get their faith settled. Because they know that Jesus is coming, know that he's going to judge the world in righteousness, and know that his judgment, listen, is going to start right here. Judgment begins at the house of God. Knowing then that this is happening, we need to be established. Simon Peter presents the same truth as he's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 5. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Boy, he piled the words on. Uh, he just kept on. They all meant similar things, but he's just saying, I, I want, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming, in light of what you're going through, in light of what's happening in your world, you need to get your faith settled. Your faith needs to be strong, stable. Long ago, the psalmist asked an astute question, which applies very directly to us in Psalm 11 and verse 3. When he asked if the foundations are destroyed, 
what can the righteous do? There's an old saying, and some of you like to use it a lot. A person, they say, can have their mind, a mind like concrete, uh, thoroughly mixed up and permanently set. Um, that's, I didn't say it was a good joke. I just said it was an old joke. <clears throat> Unfortunately, it's never been easier to get in that state than it is today. To have a mind that's thoroughly mixed up and yet permanently set. The way to avoid that, of course, is by making sure that our foundation is real and right and true and solid. And that we're therefore building our life on a solid foundation Imagine a new home going up somewhere in our community. That's not hard to figure out. Not hard to imagine. One day a work crew shows up in a few days. They're laying blocks, then pouring the concrete. But when the building crew comes to begin the structure, instead of building on the foundation, they just move out in the yard. Start throwing up a structure. No plans, no foundation. They didn't like the foundation, you see, and they didn't like the plan. So they just decided to throw something up and see how it turns out. Are you going to buy that house? They'll probably charge you extra for it. Some of you may feel like you did buy that house. I don't know. But... Uh, foundation, you see, lays out what that house is going to be, and you build on the foundation that's true of houses. It's even more true of life. And that's why the psalmist asks us, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, we live in a time when the foundations are being destroyed. And a lot of people are building without any kind of foundation at all. Or even worse, they're building on the wrong kind of foundation. What do you want to build your life on today? Something where you're just making it up as you go? Or do you want something that will give you a solid structure, something that's well play, planned, something that's stable and dependable, that has proven itself from generation to generation to generation to generation? You see, that foundation is what our text is all about. That's why God is writing, because he wants to establish us, to establish us. You'll see then that God intends for this, and he gives us three things, three great things to do it. You'll see it in those according to statements. God is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. That's the first one. According to the revelation of the mystery and the prophetic scriptures now made manifest to all nations, and according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. Uh, three things, three according to statements. God wants to establish this. He establishes this then with or in these three areas. It's not a big surprise that Paul begins with the truth of the gospel. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ. This is simply and profoundly the means of our eternal salvation. The way that we avoid hell and attain heaven and so much more. 
Paul began this by reminding us that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it, that is the gospel, is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul began then with the preaching of the gospel. Paul was writing to people who were saved and who were already members of churches, and yet he was writing to them about their need to hear the gospel and to be established in the gospel and to be established in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is something we need to be absolutely sure about. And we see that in a couple of ways in our text. First of all, uh, we need to be absolutely sure that we're saved. Why do you preach the gospel to people who are saved? Because I've seen a lot of people who thought they were saved that turned out that they weren't. And so we keep preaching the gospel. Yes. (laughs) It's my goal to preach the gospel every single time I get behind this pulpit. People need to know that they're saved. He would warn the churches of Galatia that if anyone came to them preaching any other gospel to them, let them be accursed. So that you see, we not only need to know that we're saved, but we need to be absolutely certain that we are right on the means of salvation, on how to be saved. Paul would even include himself. He would say, though we, that is himself, Paul the Apostle, and those men who were with him, even if we came to you preaching another gospel, even if another angel came to you preaching for heaven, another gospel, then let him be accursed. Why would Paul include himself in that group? It's easy to understand that. Uh, Paul had lived long enough to see a lot of people who once believed the truth about the gospel but who have turned away from it. I've lived long enough to see the same thing. And it's very possible, and in fact it does happen, that people will end up adding on things to the truth of the gospel, and it always goes that way. It's always an add-on. The gospel's too simple. There's nothing to take away from it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always believe and. That's what we start hearing. And so Paul said, even if I somehow should lose my mind and change my mind, and I came to you preaching something else than what I preached to you before, then you don't believe it. If some, even a, a flaming seraphim, son of light, were to stand in your midst telling you something of what you've already heard, you don't believe it. Paul knew, though, he wasn't infallible. I know the same thing, and I'd tell you the same thing. There is only one gospel. We might ask, why are there so many denominations of Christians? The answer is simple. We don't agree on the gospel. You'd think we all do. We don't. Some believe that you're you're saved by faith, yeah, but then baptism. Baptism is what really saves you. Let me tell you something today. Baptism doesn't save you. We're not baptized in order to be saved, but we're baptized because we are saved. There's ample passages that could demonstrate that, but a lot of churches believe that way. A lot of people believe the church saves you. Let me tell you something. Neither this church nor any other church can save anybody. We can't. We can't forgive sins. We can't vote you into salvation. We can't vote you out of it. Salvation is not in the church. By far and away, the most prevalent view is that it's some kind of good works, that we're saved, but then somehow we've got to either keep ourselves saved or it's all about our works of righteousness that we do. We've got to do right. Works can't save you either. Long about this time, somebody's probably thinking, well, you Baptists, y'all believe you're the only ones going to heaven. No, no, we don't believe that. Mm -mm. We don't believe that at all. 
But we do believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And there is no other way to be saved. And when other people start preaching other things and adding, and remember it is always adding, it corrupts the gospel. Additives to the gospel don't enhance it, they destroy it. And we believe that any time that the message of Jesus Christ crucified is preached, that people can hear that, Jesus said it, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. You might could say to me today, well, I was saved in a different kind of church. Well, thank God that I was saved in a missionary Baptist church. Yes, you can even be saved in a Baptist church. Amen? I'm telling you. Yes. But anybody who has ever truly been saved has been saved the same way. They believe that Jesus Christ was lifted up on the cross to die, not for his sins, but for theirs. They trusted then that his death had their name on it, that he was buried and he didn't stay dead. He rose again to give us eternal life and he will fulfill that promise. Whosoever believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. God has always fulfilled that promise. He's always kept his word very faithfully to us have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ can you look back to that time then when you did that when you trusted Jesus as your savior we're not uh, the kind of church that just says well the gospel doesn't matter it does matter is that well we just believe different things the gospel matters we live in a time when the gospel is being corrupted. We need to know it and know what it means and be able to present it clearly to others. It was happening in the New Testament. It's still happening today. In this very book, Paul gives us a very clear presentation of the gospel. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That's quite a sentence. And it's an incredible statement of truth. It begins with sin. Progresses there to our justification. What is justification? Justification is a judicial act by which God declares us to be righteous. God declares us to be just, righteous, though we are sinners. He does that on the basis of redemption. That somebody paid the price. And he tells us then who paid the price. That's propitiation. Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins. It's all rolled into one. Sin, justification, redemption, propitiation. And how does it come? It comes through faith in his blood. With the end result that God can be both just and the justifier. Uh, you say, well, what exactly does that mean? I'm so glad you asked me that so I can tell you. What does it mean for God to be both the just and the justifier? Well, how can God look at somebody who is undeniably, unquestionably guilty? And if anybody knows we're guilty, God does. Right? How can God be just and look at somebody who is undeniably, unquestionably guilty of sin and declare us sin to be not guilty of sin? How can he do that without becoming a liar? How could he do that and remain just 
and the justifier. There's only one way. And that's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. God became a man. He died on the cross. And paid the price for our sins. So that his righteousness then is counted as ours. And his death and his, our guilt is counted as his. And his death then is counted as my death. And his life then becomes my life. That's what that means. It's no small thing for God to be both just and the justifier. You see, Paul wants us to be solid in our understanding of the gospel. You say, I've heard all this before. Good. <laughs> Good. You've just heard it again. And I pray God gives me a chance to preach it to you again before too long. On the other hand, some of you are hearing this for the first time. And you might have been in this church service. And I'll tell them how many times you've been here for services. But for the first time, the gospel becomes clear to you. Holy Spirit does that. It doesn't have anything to do with the quality of my preaching. It has to do with the power of the Spirit of God. So that we get that understanding that yes, I'm a sinner. And that yes, salvation is available to me because of Jesus Christ. And what he did. So that salvation is not in something I do. It's not in baptism. It's not in a church that I belong to. It's not in some ritual that I perform. It's not in some work that I do. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. He wants them established in the truth of the gospel. See, I, I, I know where you folks live. And I'm not talking about your address. I'm talking about the world you live in. I know you have friends who believe entirely different things. You have friends who believe no thing. Spiritually, they, they have no beliefs at all. Some. But most of them will have some kind of belief about something. And it's important for you all, not just me, not just our other pastors, but for you all to be established in the truth of the gospel so that, first of all, you know that you're saved. And then you know how to tell other people how to be saved. Established in the gospel. That's where it all begins. But then it goes from there to be established in the scriptures. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began but now made manifest. And by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. Paul mentions specifically two aspects of the scriptures. The first is the great mystery. That great mystery was probably most succinctly identified for us in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4. Uh, where Paul spoke of the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known. Same thing he says here in Romans 16. Something that had been hidden in God before uh, time began. So here was the mystery but is now revealed. What is the mystery? That great mystery that Paul spoke of over and over again. All comes back to this. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Paul uses compound words, three of them. Made with the Greek word soon, which means same. So what he says is that the Gentiles would be same heirs. With who? The Jews. That the Jew and the Gentile would be the, of the same heirs in the same body and the same 
heirs of the same promise. And that this is in Christ by the gospel. These are not church truths. These are gospel truths. So that we can all, all believers are in the body of Christ. All believers did have that fellowship, that access. Uh, so that they ha- are joint heirs with Christ. And all then who are believers are partakers of his promise in Christ. Which primarily refers to the Holy Spirit and his work. All believers have this. But while it's not church truth, that is, it's not something that comes to us because we are in the church, it is lived out in the church. And Paul is quick to tell us that in verse 9, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. You see, that mystery that the Jew and the Gentile can be one in Christ is put on display somewhere where men can see it. And that somewhere is in local churches just like this one. We are... In a place where all races, all nationalities are one in Christ. Where we can all come together in peace. All recognize our common position as same heirs of the same body and the same promise in Jesus Christ. You see, we need to be established in the scriptures. And one of the ways that we do that is in this foundational way. Not only through the gospel, but also understanding that the same gospel is able to save anybody. And will save everybody. And once that people are saved then, that we can have fellowship in this place. And we can come together and be at peace. You see, the world says that we've got to be divided, man. Oh, and we're real good at dividing. We kind of thought we were over the divide, but I'm telling you what, and I'm talking about racial division right now. There are forces at work right now in our world that are working as never before. I've never seen it in my lifetime, and I grew up in the 60s. Working so hard to divide us racially. Well, I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't matter what your nationality is, what your ethnicity is, what language you speak. You can all be saved by the same blood of Jesus Christ. Same faith. And when that happens, then you're a joint heir with Christ. You're a member of the body of Christ. And and you're a partaker of the promise of Christ. In Christ, by the gospel. And therefore, we can come together then and worship together in peace. Paul then went on to talk about how we're established not only in the truth of the great mystery, but also in the prophetic scriptures. Hang with me, we're almost done. Much of the Bible emphasized the coming of the Messiah. Paul preached this again and again. Acts chapter 17 and verse 3. Uh, there uh, he is going in, opening and alleging as he did again and again that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. That was in Thessalonica again. Uh, and so what did Paul do? He went into the synagogues and began to reason. What was he reasoning from? The prophetic scriptures that pointed to both the first coming of Jesus Christ as the Messiah and his second coming in glory. Oh, that too was a great mystery. These apostles knew they were writing scripture. These passages would deal then with another aspect of that great mystery, and that was that there would be an interval of time between the time when Jesus came as a suffering Savior and the time when he would come as the absolute sovereign of the universe to sit upon the throne and rule over the world and establish that throne forever. There was an interval of time between those two things. It was a big deal in Paul's day. It's still a big deal today. We're still living in that time period. Waiting for, anticipating the return of Christ. 
2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In the meantime, verse 15, he said, We consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation is also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him as written to you is also in all his epistles. Speaking in them of these things, and which are some things hard to understood, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Please notice that Simon Peter equated the writings of the Apostle Paul with the other scriptures. You see, they knew. They knew they were writing the inspired Word of God. They knew it. And so as Peter uh, was quoting and thinking of the writings of Paul and how he was writing about the same thing, he's still talking about the return of Christ. And he pointed out then that people were resting the words of Paul. They still are. Twisting them up. Still are. Still teaching false things about his return. They were doing it then. They're still doing it today. But it's the scriptures, those prophetic scriptures. You see, that's what Paul is talking about. We want to be established then in the mystery, the great mystery. And we need to be established in the prophetic scriptures so that we know that Jesus is coming. And we know that he told us to work for the night is coming when no man can work. We're established in the gospel. We're then established in the scriptures. And then we're established in obedience. The last according to, according to the commandment of the everlasting God and obedience to the faith. I don't, I don't have time to develop this very much this morning. But I can summarize it by saying that God has not issued a series of opinions to be considered along with all the other opinions of our day and of our culture. That God has not issued something that he believes in today, but he might change his mind about tomorrow. We're talking about the everlasting God here. You did notice that, don't you? Yeah. When popular opinion or political correctness or the cancel culture or politics or even the culture of non-offense, which seems to be so prevalent today, where everything is right and people can declare themselves to be whatever, even in our world where sex and sexuality are the defining characteristics seemingly of who and what everyone is these days and the be-all and end-all and do-all of everything about everybody. And oh, we don't dare say anything about those things. In a negative way. God has issued commands. Not opinions. Commands. He's given us clear instructions. It isn't our job to enforce obedience. I want to say that again. It isn't our job to enforce obedience. It is our job to proclaim the truth of what the everlasting God has said. And the only person then that we can really have any control over, whether they're going to do what God said or not, is the one we look in the mirror at. This guy right here. That's why it's so important then for us to be settled on the truth of the gospel and settled on the truth of the scriptures and settled then on God's instructions to us that are to be obeyed. We could call this settled on the authority of Scripture. 
Because they're the commandments of the everlasting God. Let me remind you quickly, we're not going to be judged on the basis of how much we knew about his instructions. We're going to be judged on how well we obeyed them. Doesn't mean we're better off not knowing. Not knowing what God said, no. How can we ignore something as important as the word of God to us? Set and settled. Set and settled. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the scriptures, and the fact that I will obey, set my life in to live in obedience to God's divine degrees, decrees. I do not claim for myself, just as you would not claim for yourself, that we do everything God tells us to do or that we don't do everything God tells us not to do we would not make that claim however we do make it our goal we've settled that a long time ago that our goal is like Paul said it best forgetting those things that are behind Reaching forth toward those things that are before, I press on toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That no, I don't claim to have arrived. I don't claim to have attained. Paul didn't. I don't either. But I'm still on the. I'm, I'm still in the race. <laughs> I, I, I'm still striving for the prize, I, and the prize is to be pleasing unto Almighty God. Wherefore we labor, whether present or absent, that we might be accepted of Him. The danger zone for any child of God is when we turn away from that. Remember that foundation? Yeah, I see that foundation. I don't like the way that thing looks. <laughs> don't like where it's are. That's, that's just too restrictive. I got a lot of other things I want to do. I've got other things I want to do. I, I, I know that I see all that foundation stuff over there, but I, I'm not interested in that. No, I think I'll just do my own thing. Humanity has been making that decision for a long, long time. I'm here to remind you today, it always ends the same way. If we could live forever, if there was no death, if there was no heaven, no hell, and we could just live on and on and on, we, we might have a leg to stand on with that idea. But since those things aren't true, we have a God in heaven. And he says, I want to establish you. I want you to be established. I want you to get some things settled. The gospel, the scriptures, and are you going to live your life to obey them? Let's stand together, please.